Amen. You know, sometimes in life we have people that sort of come into our life and then go out of our life, and then we wonder maybe a few months or even a few years later, you know, I wonder whatever happened to that person. Like it's someone we work with for a couple or three years, and then they get another job or move away, and, and then later on we say, I wonder what happened to them, or even if they come to church and then move somewhere else, and we don't hear from them for a while, we'll say, I wonder what happened to that person. Someone came out of first service and said, well, you just look them up on Facebook. Bunch of stalkers, but anyway... <laughs> That does happen, right? It even happens in Scripture. There are times when people sort of come into the story. I mean, we know the, the details of the stories of people like Jesus, certainly, and even Peter and Paul in the New Testament. We know a lot about them, but there are some people who show up for just a few verses or maybe a chapter, and then they disappear. And we might wonder, you know, I really do wonder whatever happened to that person and the life that they live. We're going to talk about one of those people, but we're going to wait just a few minutes and, and catch that story. And at the end, we sort of do wonder whatever happened to her. But before we get that, an observation about ministry that I've had over the 30 years I've been in ministry is people will sometimes say to me, not so much in response to what I'm preaching, but the church in general, they'll say, we should have more preaching about sin. Okay, I wish people would talk about sin more. And I always think, I wish people would talk about Jesus more because we can't get too much Jesus, right? We can never get too much of what we know about Jesus. And yet, people will say we need to talk about sin more than we do in church. And, and here's what I think is often meant by that. I wish preachers would talk about sins that I don't commit, right? We want to talk about the things that other people are doing. We want to talk about the things that people do that make us uncomfortable, challenge our presuppositions, the way our lives are lived. And we sort of think if someone would just make sure they know they're wrong, this world would be a lot better place. If, if they would confirm to me that people who do that are really condemned, then I would feel a lot better about my faith. We want someone to affirm to us that other people are wrong. Now what we don't really want is, to someone, is for someone to talk about the sins that we would actually commit, right? We don't want them to talk about the stuff that we're guilty of because that makes us really uncomfortable. I don't want someone to preach about the things that I've done wrong because then I'm confronted with my guilt, with my sin, the things that I've done wrong, the things that make me feel bad, the things that I've done that hurt other people. I don't want somebody to talk about that because I don't want to feel bad, okay? But if you talk about somebody else's sin, that's okay. What we're really saying is, is I don't want to think about repentance. I don't want to be confronted with what I've done wrong because then I might be forced to change, to live a different life. I might feel so bad about what I've done that I would have to do something different. And yet, sometimes that's exactly what Jesus did with people. They were confronted with their sin and then they changed. We want to think about a person who did that, a person who does disappear after this story. 
The story is found in John chapter 4. I've preached on this story before in this building, so it's not anything new. You've probably heard this story many times, but it is such a powerful story. And we're going to hit some spots that maybe we don't park on very long when we usually go through this story. And I'm not going to go through all of it in detail, but this is the story of the Samaritan woman. And it goes like this, Jesus was preaching in Judea, which is in the southern part of what we call Israel today. He was, he was in Jerusalem and Judea, which is the larger area. Some of John the Baptist, we talked about him last week, some of his disciples were coming over to Jesus. And it's sort of like Jesus wanted to take a break from that. And so he told his disciples, let's go from Judea, where we are, to Galilee, that's in the north. That's where Nazareth was, where Jesus grew up, Sea of Galilee, all those stories let's go there sort of that was home to all of them now what we also oftentimes know is that between Judea in the south and Galilee in the north is this area in between called Samaria and the people who lived there the Samaritans were related to the Jews Jesus is a Jew his disciples are Jews they're related to them but there is a lot of racial and religious tension between these two groups. They both worship God, but they do it in different places. They do it with a little bit different understanding of Scripture. And so they often had really hard feelings against one another. In fact, Jews sometimes called Samaritans dogs. So... When good Jews went from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, what they often did was to go around Samaria. But on this occasion, Jesus says, let's go right through. Let's walk right through Samaria. And on a two or three day walking journey, you can imagine that you'd have to rest for a while at times. And so they did. And they rested in the town of Sychar. Sychar in Samaria, it was a, actually a pretty famous place because it was the home of Jacob's well. Jacob, Israel himself, had dug a well in this place to provide water for this town. So Jesus and his disciples come into town, go to the well. The disciples leave Jesus to go in and find food. And there's Jesus beside the well by himself. And a woman came out. Now it's about noon. A lot later than most of the people would have gathered water early in the day for the rest of the day. Maybe she's there because she doesn't want to be there when others are there. But here's Jesus. This Samaritan woman comes to the well and Jesus asks her for water and that totally shocks her. She can't believe that Jesus has spoken to her, much less asked her for something. And this is what we read in John chapter 4, verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John tells us this, sort of in parentheses, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That was an understatement. So Jesus violates several cultural and societal norms here. A male would never talk to a female that he didn't know, especially if they were alone. A Jew would not speak to a Samaritan under these circumstances. And certainly a Jew would not ask an unclean Samaritan to drink water that they drew out of a well. There are all kinds of reasons this conversation should never have happened. And yet... It did because Jesus initiated it. So they have this conversation. 
And, and Jesus talks with the woman and they talk about living water, okay? And Jesus is sort of using the fact that she's drawing water to say there's something more in life. And she's not quite getting it, okay? But Jesus decides to move the conversation along. And so he, he asks her or maybe gives her a leading command. He says, go and get your husband and bring him back and let's talk. Let me talk to both of you. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. You've told the truth. Now, wouldn't it have been easier for this woman? I mean, here's a total stranger, shows up in town. He's probably going to be gone in a few hours. Wouldn't it have been easier just to go back, get the guy, bring him back to the well, and try to pass him off as her husband? How will this guy who just showed up ever know any different, right? She doesn't recognize this is the Messiah, but she didn't. She speaks the truth. I have no husband. And maybe that's the core truth of her existence at this point. Five husbands, living with a man now. Everyone in town would look down on her and have things to say about her. She'd be the source of all kinds of gossip. It's no wonder she showed up at the well at noon when she thought no one would be there. You've told the truth. A very difficult truth. And then, and then Jesus and this woman have a conversation about worship, sort of about the differences between Samaritans and Jews. They talk about that for a few minutes, and then we come across this passage that Jerry read just a few minutes ago. Verse 24 was the last verse he read, God is spirit, and its worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Truth is an important word in this passage. And I think at that point, she's like, okay. Like, okay, you Jews and us Samaritans, we're different. We approach this differently. We don't agree on this. You know what? Let's just leave this be. She says it this way, verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah, and then John says called Christ. First is a Hebrew word, the second a Greek word that means the same thing. The king, we would say, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She's basically saying, listen, we, we don't agree. We're not going to get anywhere in this. I'm not going to convince you. You're not going to convince me about worshiping on this mountain or worshiping Jerusalem or whatever. And this worshiping in spirit and in truth, sure, but I don't know anything else to say. So let's just, let's just say that when the Messiah comes, and the Jews and the Samaritans both believed that the Messiah was coming... They both had the same prophecy, the same books of the Old Testament. When he comes, we'll just let him sort all that out. Now, she knew good and well that they had been waiting on the Messiah for several hundred years and that she's probably not going to have to talk to Jesus about this again because it might be a few more hundred years before the Messiah shows up. And then Jesus says this. Verse 26, then Jesus declared, declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. 
And for the first time in the Gospel of John, Jesus says to another person, I am the Messiah, the Christ. I am the one, the one that everyone has been expecting. I am the King. Isn't it shocking that Jesus chose this woman? First of all, a woman that in the ancient world would have had very little respect. A woman that has a reputation. A woman who is a Samaritan. It is this woman, for the first time, Jesus says, I am am the Messiah. Now, just about that time, Jesus' disciples come back from town. I guess they probably found the food, and they come back, and they see Jesus talking to this local woman, this Samaritan, and John, of course, is with them, the guy that's writing this. He's in the middle of all this, and he sort of describes it. Nobody says anything, but it's as if everybody's sort of looking at them like, who's Jesus talking to? Why is he talking to her? What's going on here? But she doesn't care about that. What she cares about is here, this guy who's spoken to her, and he is something different. And so, verse 28, then leaving her water jar, remember she came to get water, who cares about that? Now, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And that was a lot. Five husbands and the man she's with now is not her husband. She's got a story. She's got a past. She's probably got some baggage. And it strikes me that, that this woman who went to the well when no one would be there, at this point, when she's sort of reckoning with the fact that this might be the Messiah, when she's reckoning with the fact that God is on the move, she cannot keep it to herself. She has got to go back into town, maybe to these very people who have talked about her and looked down on her, and she knows what's going on when they come and they see her and they look away and they have these side conversations. She knows it, and yet she can't hold back. Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. And when the people in the village of Sychar hear this, they want to go see what's going on. Maybe they want to hear everything she's ever done, right? There might be some interesting stories that are being told at the well right now. So they go out to find out what's happening. And there they encounter Jesus. Because this woman chose to tell him the truth and them, then them the truth. Here's the result. It begins in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, in Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and, and he stayed two days. A Jew stayed with Samaritans two days. Unclean people. And because of his words... Many more became believers. And they said to the woman, 
We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Because this woman told the truth and was willing to speak the truth to people that maybe even made her uncomfortable, everything changed. And that really is the message that I want us to hear from this passage today. Truth changes lives. And there's a lot of interplay in the story about truth. Worshiping in spirit and in truth, what you've said is true. The truth changes people. And the truth of Jesus changes people. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes truth makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Sometimes we don't want to talk about the truth. Sometimes we don't want to talk about everything we've ever done because it would be embarrassing. You see, we don't want to talk about the sin that we've committed. And so sometimes in church, we come into rooms like this and we pretend pretty convincingly that we've got it all together, that we've got it figured out, that we know what we're doing in this life, when deep down inside we know, man, we got some messed up stuff. And we really don't want anybody talking about all the stuff we've ever done. And what would be better is if we spoke the truth. Maybe not to everybody in the room, but what would be better is if we were honest about everything we've ever done. Because sometimes in the church, and again, I'm not talking about just our church, I'm talking about the church. When somebody really messes up, you know what Christians do is they, they have side conversations and they look at people and they say, man, I saw that coming. I knew what kind of guy he was. I knew what kind of person she is. Instead of saying, wow, they messed up and they've repented. Let's see what God can do. Let's see if this living God can change things. Let's see if the Spirit of God that came upon the church on the day of Pentecost can actually change people because that's what we say we believe. And if we were actually honest, if we spoke the truth about some stuff that we messed up, we might be just really surprised about how much work God's Spirit can do in us. And I'm not talking about everybody telling everything that they ever did wrong in front of everyone else. But maybe speaking to people that we can trust and allowing them to hold us accountable for what we know we're susceptible to do wrong. Because if we're really the church and we really do believe that the Spirit of God descended on those people on the day of Pentecost and that the Spirit of God is at work in us today, then we believe that God can change lives. And when we speak the truth about what's right and wrong, about what we've done wrong, and about how much we believe that God can change people, what we'll find is truth changes lives. Now, what we notice about Jesus here is, is he didn't lead with that, right? He didn't lead with, let me tell you about sin. What he led with was living water. What he led with was 
I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now, Jesus always talks about lives changing, right? Just a few chapters later, four chapters later, Jesus is there with the woman who committed adultery. They caught her in the act. What does he do? First, he saves her life. He keeps them from killing her over this. And then he says, go, sin no more. It's not that sin was not important to Jesus. Sin was the reason he was here to deal with the problem. But what Jesus does is invite people in. And he deals with all the things that they've ever done. And the truth of what he's doing changes lives. And so let's, as the church, be the kind of people who are willing to confront our own sin. And let's be the kind of people who are willing to say, you know what, you messed up. God still loves you. We still love you. And we believe God's spirit can change lives. So let's see that at work. Let's pray together. God, we're so glad that the truth of Jesus changes us. And God, we look back on our lives and see all the things that we've ever done and we know we got some messed up stuff and God, we just pray that Through the power of Jesus, you will not only forgive us, but change us. And God, we're thankful for everyday people who come in and out of Jesus' life, and we don't always know what happened to them next, but we can see that Jesus changed them. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.